session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook. To get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-4410555. Before the show, um, I got a message from someone who's listening in Hanover, Germany, which is very nice to get a message like that and always makes me even more excited and inspired to do the show. So thank you. For those kind words before the show, and guten tag, hope you enjoy the show today. Um, before I get into it, I want to announce the book of the week for this week again. It is How to Create a Mind, The Secret of Human Thought Revealed by Ray Kurzweil. How to Create a Mind, The Secret of Human Thought Revealed. I'll be talking about that on Monday's show. Wanted to start off today talking about love, um, a topic that obviously comes up a lot on this show, but wanted to talk about uh, some concept related to love, about what true love might be or what love can be like, uh, coming from Aristotle. And so um, Aristotle talked about love and friendships in a similar way from what I've read because the word was the same. And so sometimes he talked about things related to um, friendship or types of friendship, but they also relate to love. And the reason why I wanted to talk about that, actually, in the book Happy Together, I forgot the, the uh, authors, they were a husband and wife team, um, talked about the three types of love that Aristotle described and how our goal should be to create a relationship based on the third type, which I'll get into. So Aristotle said that there's three ways of looking at friendship or love. And one is, or the first one is, friendships of utility meaning that we get something out of it. We um, are friends with someone because they have access to somewhere we want to go or it's going to increase our status or make us have some kind of resources that we like. Uh, And this is a very low level of love or relationships or one that many people are at in so many different ways in their life. Even, unfortunately, we see marriages that are based this way. And I'll get more deeply into that. Um, The second level is friendships of pleasure, meaning that you do something you enjoy together, you have fun together, you have common interests, fishing buddies or people that play cards together. There's something they mutually enjoy. This can be good, but still uh, in these two levels, whether it's for utility or pleasure, Aristotle talks about how they're not very strong or long lasting, because if it's a friendship of utility, I just get something out of you then if I no longer get that thing from you, I'm going to no longer have that friendship or that loving relationship or romantic relationship even. Um, And that's going to be done pretty quick. And if it's a friendship of pleasure, then it's only when we're enjoying each other's company. But if we no longer can enjoy that common interest or have that fun in that way, 
the relationship will end there as well. And some people have a combination of those two, pleasure and utility, in a lot of their friendships and even marriages, unfortunately. But the third level, which we should strive for, is to have friendships that are for the good of the other person, that third level. So that means that we have a respect for the other person. We see something in them, a goodness, and we like them and even love them because of that good. And we want to help them become a better person and strive for their greatness and also have that ourselves. So here the love is based on the good in the other person, not just because they're enjoyable or fun or because of status, but it's a much deeper bond that is about the good of each other. And that's what we want to create. And that type of love is much more long-lasting, strong, and secure. Because if you love someone because of their goodness, then even if you're not enjoying them in the moment or if they have no value or utility for you, you will still love them. It's not based on getting something from them. And that's something also very important when we look at these levels of love is that this third level, it's not about what you get from them, that they're going to give you pleasure or give you some kind of utility, but it's actually about loving them for who they are. And similarly, they will love you in that way as well. But as I was saying, most marriages even are based on the first two. If I look at the Iranian community, we are so focused on marrying because of status or how it's going to look. So we think um, if you marry this person, it's going to look good for us. Your status gets elevated. You're going to have a better life because of that. And that's what matters. They're not even focused on the other person's character and who they are, um, how you match and any of those things. But traditionally, this is what marriage was about, utility. And so I've worked with families or you see it all the time in our community where uh, their kids are meeting someone or getting to know someone and their whole focus is on, well, because they're good on paper, because it's going to look good for us, if you marry him or marry her, we want you to marry them. They don't ask about... What is the relationship like? How does he or she treat you? How do you guys feel together? All those very important things don't matter because what matters most is how this marriage will affect status. And so that's at that first level of utility. Just what will I get out of this? Um, and really, it also comes from this place that we didn't think that there could be or there wasn't really the opportunity for a true love that was deeper than that. So if you talk to a lot of people, even still, but especially from previous generations, they'll say that those things sound phony or fake or like a joke to love someone and be in love. It's about just making a good choice that makes sense. So a lot of our marriages, unfortunately, and relationships stay at this level or intention. That's actually the important part is what's your intention going in is people want someone that is good for them on a level of status. I'm going to feel better. If I marry you, I'm going to look good. A trophy, trophy wife, trophy husband. And because of that, it's good for me. And that's what I want. And that's definitely not a deep and secure relationship. And this is why, well, if you get old and you lose the money you had or you get old and you don't look as good, I might not want to be with you anymore because it's not about something deeper. It's just about the utility. And so these are very unsecure, insecure types of relationship. Uh, the next level is the friendship of pleasure or relationship based on that. People have fun together. And so it is good to have this having mutual interests is important for you and your romantic partner. Um, it can make, you have to be able to enjoy some things together, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you have. And some people just have fun together and that's good and a little bit deeper, but still won't really have that security that we should be looking for in that depth 
of connection that we want. Um, so find things you like with each other. That's good, but you don't have to like everything. If you like sports and she doesn't, that can be okay or vice versa. That can be fine. Um, as long as you have other interests you like and you can respect the things that are different and what you um, both like that the other one doesn't, then you can be okay. But sometimes we think we have to just have fun with the person. Fun is important. We need it, but it's not enough. It's just one aspect. And so if it's just a friendship or a marriage based on pleasure, even enjoying each other, even sex, um, if it's just sex that feels good, but there isn't an emotional connection, then there isn't a lot there. So that's not going to be enough. But what we should be striving towards is this friendship based on the greater good, a shared good, uh, or a marriage based on these things. Because that's when we actually have a depth of connection that will be long-lasting. If you love someone because of who they are, then there could be a more likelihood that that love will last. And what I mean is, we of course ask ourselves, what do I like in another person? Or even when you think of someone, what do you like? Their kindness, their intelligence, their sense of humor, um, their looks, those are things you might be thinking about. And that's good, but when you really get to know someone, you see that there's more to them than just the sum of these parts of just describing them in some way of characteristics. You get to see something. And I don't want to make it sound um, like it's transcendental in some way of like it's a soul or a spirit. But really people have, I think, a type of essence that you get to see when you get to interact with them. That's them. Something about them that makes them who they are. That even if something changed about them, they would still be that person to you. It's not that they lose that. So if they were uh, good looking and then they lost that, you wouldn't say, well, they're no longer them anymore. There's still something more about them than that. So liking them for that good in them is what we're looking for. And with that comes, I want the best for you. I want the best in you. And also I want the best in me. And I want you to bring that out of me. And we've probably experienced this being in relationships where the other person doesn't bring out the best in us, that we don't bring out the best in them either there isn't really this strong feeling of love and connection between one another. And because of that, we don't really uh, bring out the best in each other. And that's what we want when we enter a relationship, is that because we love them for their good and their goodness and we see the greatness in them, we're going to want to bring that out and make them even better. Not because they're not good enough now, so it's not about not accepting and loving them today, but that you actually want to help them grow and you want to grow as well. We always should be growing. If we're not growing, we're essentially dying. And so if we're just staying the same, that is a problem. But we also shouldn't have the feeling that our partner needs us to change in order to love us. They should love us today and want for us to be even better. And so this is what we should be striving towards. When we talk about true love, there's lots of different factors that play a part in that. But one of them is this, this feeling of wanting good for your partner being with someone that makes you feel good and makes you want to be even better every single day. And so we should look at the relationships we're forming because it is about what we create. Sometimes we think when we see two people who are still in love many years after marriage, and even some people think this is a myth, but of course it's not. Even there's research showing that the brains of some people who have been in love for a long time and still are in love looks very similar to brains of people who are newly in love meaning that love really is still alive. But a lot of times when people look at someone who is still in love with their partner after many years, they think, oh, they're so lucky. Uh, either they're just lucky somehow, God made it so that they're still feeling that feeling, or they think they're lucky because of the partner they chose is 
someone or so good that they could feel that way. But that's not really what's going on. It's just like anything. When someone achieves something good, we can say it's luck. When someone is in very good physical shape, we can say luck, but no, they've worked on their physique. Or if someone is educated or learned a lot of things, it's not just luck. They've put the time into it. And similarly, couples who are still happily married and really in love after years, it's not luck. It's about what they are doing. It's about the mindset they have and the work they are doing in the relationship to keep it alive. And so we have to be aware of that. Um, picking the right partner is so important and something that we should put a lot of time into. You should be very picky in the sense that you really look at the person, evaluate them, see if they're a match for you. But also we have to see that picking the person is just the first step. You pick the right partner, which means I'm making it sound very simple, but involves lots of time dating different people over a different time but then eventually finding one person, seeing if it's a good match for you. And if that's the case, you choose that person. But now the real work has begun. The unfortunate thing is when we hear things like happily ever after in the fairy tales, it's that once the prince and the princess find each other, everything is easy after that. But happily ever after isn't something that is just given because we choose the right person. It's something that comes with hard work. We have to create our happily ever after. It's not just something that is a given based on who we pick and if we pick that right person. So picking the right person is the first step. It's very important to find someone you're compatible with, you connect with, you feel good with, that you see this good in them um, that I was talking about. But then also you have to be ready to do that work, which means to continue to strive to have that type of relationship where you are looking for the good, you are wanting the good, and you see the good in your partner. And if you can feel that, if you can feel that for someone, that is a feeling that you will be able to recognize as different from the other types of love, when it's just about feeling good in the moment or getting something out of them. This is what we mean about true love and that true connection. I want what's best for you. I love you and I want to love you for the rest of my life to bring out that best in you and in me and to share that together. Um, so I wanted to just talk about that today. And there's a lot more to look at, and maybe I'll talk more about that in today's show about love and looking for true love and what that even means. But let's get to a commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. And the first segment talked about love, true love, and I know it's a very cliche thing to talk about, but one that's worth looking at because um, when, when I talk to people about love and what they're looking for, oftentimes we get the recipe wrong or we're not sure, I guess, maybe what the ingredients are, and that leads to us not getting what we really want. Um, and one of my favorite books about love or having the right mindset when it comes to love comes from Eric from The Art of Loving. Uh, it's probably the book I've read more than any other book before, maybe because I like it so much. Also, it is fairly short, but a very good book that I highly recommend. But in that book, he talks about some of the myths we have about love. And one of them I was addressing at the end of the last segment. And that's about that most people think that when we think about love, when we think about, I want to be in love and be married and have this wonderful, beautiful relationship, we think that the whole problem is finding the right object to love 
and really object even is a good word for this. Really, we mean a person, but we see them almost as this object to love. And so everyone thinks, all I have to do is find my prince charming, my princess charming. And if I find them, then that's it. That's It's all about finding the right person. And then everything works out easily, which I mentioned is definitely not the case. But what we don't think about, and that's what really the art of loving is about, and even that title in the book, is that I have to develop my own capacity to love, to become someone who um, can love someone, who can be in a loving relationship. We put so much time and effort in understanding other things and becoming good at other things, but when it comes to love, we just think, well, it's natural and it should be easy. And the part that is natural is that it's natural for us to desire to be with someone. It's natural for us to be attracted to individuals, whether it's from the opposite sex or the same sex or both, depending on your sexuality, we, we are naturally attracted, but it doesn't mean we are naturally good at being in relationships or know how to have a good relationship and especially how to have a good relationship based on the time we are in now. Just like parenting, it's, uh, having uh, the desire to be a parent is very natural for most people. They want to be a parent, they want to have a child, and they feel strong feelings for their children. Of course, that part is very natural, that as soon as you see your child or even before you see your child, you'll feel strong love for them. Um, but that doesn't mean that being a parent is something that everyone is naturally good at. And that's why it is important before we become parents to uh study parenting, to understand parenting better, to also think about our own childhood and understand it if you are raising the child with a husband or wife, to talk a lot about how you want to parent together and see that you guys are on the same page and have the same philosophy of parenting and if there's going to be discipline and how that's going to go about. So you have to do a lot of preparation work. So wanting to be a parent and even creating a child can be very natural in that sense that it's part of who we are as human beings and really all animals uh, have that, but doesn't mean being a good parent is something that's just natural. And so similarly with love, we feel like it's natural because we feel so drawn towards other people um, that we want to be with that it seems like, well, it's so natural. What's the, what does it mean to do work? It's just there. But the desire is there to want to be with someone, but actually creating a relationship is not something that is just natural and easy for us. So the focus of that book is that we have to develop our own capacity to love. How do I make sure I'm a good partner? Because when you look at couples I talked about in the last segment who stay in love and then those who are not in love, usually when you talk to couples who are not in love anymore, they'll probably tell you, one, they might say, well, you know, true love just can't last or that passion can't last or that good feeling can't last. And it might not feel exactly the same, but it definitely can evolve to something even better. Um, they might say that, that just true love lasting doesn't uh, happen. But the other thing they'll say is, oh, yeah, but it's my wife or my husband. If, if you knew how they were, how he is, how she is, who she is, um, you wouldn't you would realize why I don't love him or love her that way anymore. And we blame the person that we are with. But we don't really think about ourselves and what we've done to create this relationship and what we've done to make sure we are loving our partner in a way that makes sense. So we have to develop our own capacity to love and to be in a loving relationship, not just focus on picking someone. The choosing part is very important, but the creating part is almost equally as important in a way that you can't just think because you found a good person for you, it's going to be easy. So what does that mean? There's definitely a few important steps to look at and think about when it comes to being in a good relationship, developing that capacity to love. 
The first one begins with yourself. And this is another part that people sometimes miss when we're thinking about just finding the right object or person is we just look outside. Let me find a good person. Oh, that person's good. That person isn't good. I like him. I like her. I don't like him. I don't like her. And that's it. But we don't look at ourselves first. So first we have to understand ourselves and what we have been through and who we are. We have to have that self-awareness and self-knowledge to know who we are, what we've been through, who we're attracted to, why we might be attracted to people like that, and also how we are in a relationship. What are our strengths when it comes to being in a relationship? What are our weaknesses based on what we've been through, insecurities we might have, um, our weaknesses that we might have that might affect how we are in a relationship? So first, before you think about being with someone else, you have to be with yourself, understand yourself first. What have I been through? What were my parents like? It's very cliche, but it happens so much. That's why it becomes cliche to think that we often marry someone like our parents. And unfortunately, we tend to be attracted to the negative quality of our parents, not because we just don't like ourselves, but because we are trying to resolve the issues from our past. So if we had a mother who was very harsh and critical, we might look for a harsh and critical woman who one will feel familiar to us or it'll feel like home and we'll try to make her love us or try to make her uh, make us feel good about ourselves. And so you see it so often in couples therapy or just therapy in general that someone will talk about their parent and say, oh, my dad was so this way. And then you ask them about their husband and they have those same qualities. And it could seem puzzling that if someone didn't like those things about a parent, why would they choose a partner that way? But we can make sense of it, as I was saying, one, that people that are like our parents, even in the negative ways, they feel like home to us. They feel familiar. And so you might feel drawn to them because of that. And two, there's this desire to resolve the conflicts from our past. If we felt bad about ourselves because we couldn't get our parents to love us the way we wanted, we think this time I'm going to find someone like that and make them love me. Unfortunately, what it usually means is we just get hurt the same way as before, something that Freud would call the repetition compulsion. We create the same type of scenarios, relationships, situations, and get hurt in the same way. Um, but we could understand that when we see that there's a desire to resolve what has happened in the past. And so often what we need to do is try to resolve those issues ourselves through therapy and our own um, process of growing and not try to look for someone to fix that for us. And also what we want to keep in mind is, especially if we had a difficult childhood, that whoever we find ourselves attracted to doesn't have those negative qualities from our parents because we know we can be drawn to them. Actually, if you had a very painful childhood, you want to be a little bit mindful of the fact that the people that you might find yourself very drawn towards might not be good for you because you might be doing this process of looking for those negative qualities or being drawn to those qualities. So we have to understand what we've been through, who we are, because that can heavily affect who we are attracted to. And also, as I mentioned, we want to know ourselves. What are our insecurities and weaknesses that we will bring into this relationship? Be aware of what triggers are for you related to things, especially like trust and how good you feel with that person. How easy is intimacy for you? Of course, sexually, but especially emotionally as well. Many people have a hard time um, being emotionally intimate, being vulnerable. Men tend to have a harder time with this. 
they feel that if they're sharing their feelings, they're being weak, they're not being masculine, they're not being strong, and that a woman won't be attracted to that. And unfortunately, there are some women that can feel that way too, that a man shouldn't cry or um, show any kind of weakness or sadness. When in fact, true emotional intimacy involves those feelings the most. The positive, easy feelings don't lead to a very strong connection. Similar to what I was talking about in the last segment, a relationship just based on pleasure and feeling good can be nice, but it's not going to be very deep and strong. What the strength of a relationship comes from is when we actually are showing those sides that are a little bit harder to talk about and harder to share. So we have to ask ourselves, how easy is it for me to open up and to share with someone? And that's very important as well. And so in that whole process, what's also going to be important is to make sure we have a strong sense of self-love, genuine self-love for ourselves. And self-love doesn't mean we think of ourselves as better than anyone else. And the reason why I say that is it might sound obvious, but sometimes you see people who might be driving people towards that, uh, motivational speakers or people who will post things online or pop psychology so we have to think of ourselves as you know this unicorn or someone who's better than everyone else because we love ourselves so much or i did this and it wasn't very nice but it doesn't matter because i'm a queen i'm a king i'm above really in that way the law or this ethical law of other people because of that and that's because i love myself so much and that's not genuine self-love that's a false sense of pride um, that isn't based on something real and usually is very empty and is compensating for actually not feeling very good about yourself. But genuine self-love means I see myself and we have to know ourselves just like anything to love it. You have to know it, know ourselves, understand ourselves, see the good and the bad. We see our flaws. So it's not that I'm this perfect person and that's why I love myself is I see um, the good and the bad and I love and I accept myself as I am. I have that compassion for myself. Sometimes even we'll do this with people thinking of others to imagine them as a baby or a child, but you can ask yourself to do that. Imagine yourself as a baby or a child, or if you see a child being born, we usually don't think, well, when this baby is born, let me see if they're good enough to love the baby and have love for them. You just love them. You know that the baby deserves love and we were all once babies and still are worthy of love and being accepted for who we are. And so we need to have that for ourselves, to feel that loving feeling for ourselves, to accept ourselves. I am a human being. I have love for all human beings, and that includes me. I love myself as well. And so this is just good for us overall, but it's very important for when we enter a relationship. And here we have another cliche of uh, you can't really love someone else if you don't love yourself. And like many cliches, there's a good amount of truth to that. If you don't have a good solid feeling of love for yourself it will be hard for you to have a good solid genuine loving feeling for someone else that will be sustainable you might feel things that are like love um, and of course self-love is not this black or white thing that you either have it or you don't like many things we're talking about trying to have more of it trying to feel better about that feeling we have towards ourselves. but really in that way we can see that the more you love yourself the more you'll be able to love someone else and when I say love yourself, um, I don't mean in the selfish way, because I know a lot of times when people think of a narcissist or someone who's very arrogant, we might even say, oh, he or she loves themselves too much. But that, again, is not a 
genuine love. Actually, in The Art of Loving, I think Eric Fromm says, um, the selfish person doesn't love himself too much. He doesn't love himself at all. It's something is missing that makes them that way. So it's not coming from a good place. But when you have a strong, genuine sense of self-love, the stronger that feeling is, the more you can love others, including a romantic partner and just even people in the world in a more sustainable long-lasting kind of a way. So when we develop that feeling within ourselves, that we feel good about ourselves, we love ourselves, it can make it easier for us to want to genuinely love someone. Where it's not a love based on dependency. I don't need you. I can be fine without you, but I want to be with you. I want to be connected to you. I want to grow with you. That's very different than I need you and I won't survive. Um, Eric Fromm, I think, also says something like, in a more weak love, you know, I need you, so I love you. But in a true love, because I love you, now I need you. Essentially, I don't want to live without you because I love you so much. Is very different than because I need you, I love you. So I need to stick by you. I need to hold on to you. I'm going to die without you. But in a stronger love, we love that person so much. We feel so deep with them. We don't want to live without them. We would actually survive without them, but we don't want to live without them. And that's more of a genuine love, a genuine good feeling. And so I actually like love songs and romantic poems. And sometimes they'll talk about love in this way that I'm nothing without you and I'll die without you and all those things. And in a practical, logical sense, I think that's very unhealthy, that if you actually can't live with the person, that's very bad. But sometimes when we hear music or songs or poems, it's expressing a type of emotion or feeling which that part I think can be healthy, that you don't want to live without them, so it feels like you would die without them. That's different than really feeling like I can't stand on my own without you. Because the best and strongest kind of love is one where you both are okay on your own. You can be fine without anyone. You don't need someone, but you know you will feel even better with someone, or you'll have a better life or there's things you want to accomplish and do that with someone else will be even better and you want that connection not dependency but an interdependency with that person where you can contribute to each other in positive ways help build each other up and grow with one another and even there should be this feeling of wanting to be better for your partner and by that i don't mean from an anxiety because that can be the case for a lot of people they feel like i'm not good enough for my partner, he or she is going to leave me if I don't change or become better. That's not what I'm talking about. But actually, because going back to that feeling of that goodness, because you see the goodness in them, they see the goodness in you, it makes you want to strive to be even better. It makes you want to strive to love them even better. Even I say that if when you're going to bed, you should have this thought of how good of a job did I do today in loving my partner? Uh, not in a anxiety-ridden way of, I better be good enough, I better be perfect. If I'm not good enough, he or she is going to leave me. But that actually, the, the desire is there. I want to love my partner better. I want to make them feel good. I want to be the best partner I can be to them. That I feel as my duty and responsibility and really even privilege to give that to them. We want to have that type of feeling towards them. And so this was just scratching the surface at various aspects of what love can be or some of the mindsets and perspectives we can have on love. But we can see that most of us, most of the time, are not approaching love and not creating relationships in this way. And so we shouldn't be surprised when the love doesn't last 
or when it doesn't feel that great or when we don't feel very strong for each other or very close for each other because we're not getting the ingredients right to create something good. Or when we talk about love as a flame, which is sometimes a good analogy like passion, what I like to say is that don't be upset that the flame has gone out if you haven't been tending the fire. If you're not paying attention to make sure the fire is burning, yes, it's going to go out. And you can't be upset about that because you haven't done the work to keep it alive. So the passion of love can last, but it doesn't just happen on accident. It happens through choosing the right person first, but of course then using our own uh, work to build our capacity to love and to build that type of loving relationship together. All right, going into our next commercial break, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dawakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So the theme today has been love, romantic love, how to have it, what it even means, and how to make it last. Um, and I have it already been, I've already been talking about the work it takes that, you know, we think of romantic love and it's just this beautiful, lovely thing that we think is just all good things. And it is this incredible thing um, that we get to experience, but the work is also there. And also in this segment, I did want to talk about how it's all, not all just always going to be pretty all the time, that if you want to make a loving relationship last, it does take hard work and difficult work. And I don't think I've ever met someone who says they don't want to work on the relationship. Um, you know, you see couples and they always will say that, yes, I want someone who will want to work on things. I want someone who's going to want to fight for this. And pretty much everyone will say that. And I think they mean that in that they want to do that. But then what it actually push comes to shove, hopefully not literally, but when things get tough, people tend not to actually do the work. It's just like most things. If you ask people, would you like to exercise? They say, of course, exercise is great. Do you want to read more? Yes, I want to read more. Or I think reading is important. But if we look at their actions, we see that it's not always what is actually happening or what they are doing. And so I wanted to talk a bit about what that work looks like when it comes to relationships and what we need to be ready for. Because um, love is this beautiful, exciting thing. And when we're falling in love and even being in love, it's a great feeling. It's incredible, but uh, then the hard work comes up pretty soon. It might not even happen at the beginning, or sometimes it does, but the hard work is what we need to do. And one of the biggest areas of that is having conversations, communicating about the important things. And here we have another cliche where we say that the most important thing in a relationship is communication. And I wouldn't say it's the most important thing, but it is a very important thing or a thing that's always there. It's always going to be part of any relationship is how you communicate, how much you communicate, how open you are in your communication, um, the level of respect you keep when you talk to each other, how your emotions are expressed or not expressed. There's so many aspects to communication. Sometimes we say it as one word, communication, but it's a bunch of different things, a bunch of different um, avenues that we can explore related to that and even different ways verbal is the most important kind or one of the most important kinds but the ways we interact through our actions is also communication the ways we physically show love to each other can be communication how you hug hold each other all of those things are communication as well so those things are critical but when we look at the conversations we have this is one where if we don't take it seriously 
we will soon find that our relationship won't be where we want it to be. We need to have these types of conversations that take away some of the negative emotional debris and debris and maintain that strong connection with one another. So what does that mean? That means that if you are upset with your partner, if you don't like something they did, or if you're not feeling good in the relationship, you share that with him or her. And it sounds simple, but like many things that are meaningful, it's simple, but it's not easy. It takes effort or it can take some courage even or being brave in order to, to talk about these things, but we can do it. Now, the first thing is a lot of people will say, well, there's no way I can talk about these types of things with my partner. And that should be a red flag to you if it's happening even earlier on the relationship or if you're married. But if you realize you can't or you don't feel comfortable talking to your partner about these types of things, you really got to ask yourself what's going on here. And as a lot of things I look at in relationships, you can look at three different factors here. One is you have to look at yourself. Is it just hard for me to be vulnerable, to share how I'm feeling? Maybe I am someone who's a people pleaser, so I don't want to say something that might upset the other person and might make them upset or hurt. So I don't want to tell them that. Or it's because I like looking like I'm always okay and I'm strong. Again, it could be a masculine thing, but women can have this issue too. But I don't want to ever say something bothered me or it makes me look weak or that things affect me. So because of that, I don't want to get vulnerable and share. So there can be that. Um, do I like things to just stay easy? So I don't want to get into things. There could be lots of different reasons, but that's the first factor we look at. Is it hard for me to be someone who is vulnerable, who expresses how I'm feeling, who expresses being upset? Am I not used to these conversations? Do I not like these conversations? Do I think that if you have a disagreement, that's something really bad? So I never want to have an argument. So I'm conflict avoidant. These are all different factors internally that we might have that could lead to us not uh, having these types of conversations, initiating them, or even engaging in them. The other side is we have to look at our partner. Is our partner someone who makes it easy for us to share how we are feeling? When I do bring up something, does he or she respond in a way that makes me feel understood, validated, listened to, or do they make me feel bad about it? Because, for example, if you say, I was upset about something, and your partner responds by telling you you're too sensitive, it's all your fault, you're being nagging, or whatever they might say that comes off in a judgmental negative way, well, then that's going to tell you or make you feel like you can't open up or share with them. You don't want to have those conversations because they don't make you feel safe to have those conversations. So you have to ask yourself that. And so if you come to that conclusion um, when you're in a relationship that, you know what, I want to talk about things, but I don't think my partner will be able to handle it. I don't think they'll make me feel good. Or I feel like if I bring this up, that might lead to us breaking up. Sometimes people feel that way. They say, I want to have this conversation, but I'm worried it'll be the end of the relationship. And so because of that, I don't want to bring it up. That's a problem that tells us that we feel like we are clinging on to this relationship, that if we are ourselves and if we share how we really feel, this person won't want to be with us or this relationship won't last. And hopefully that would be a red flag in itself. But unfortunately, many people are in a relationship out of dependency or out of the attachment and say that the, so they don't want to risk sharing what's on their mind, sharing what they're feeling because they think it'll lead to the end. And that's unfortunate because that's not going to be a genuine loving relationship. That's more based out of trying to just force it to work because we feel like we can't live without it. And that won't be good. But so we have to look at our partner. Are they someone who can handle this? And so 
I, I work with people that they say, well, I'm dating someone and I want to talk about where our relationship is at, but I'm afraid to bring it up because I'm afraid that he or she won't handle that or won't like it and it leads to the end. And if you've been dating someone for a while and you feel like you can't even have that kind of conversation with them, you really got to ask yourself, is this someone I want to be in a relationship with? Because if you can't have those kinds of conversations now, you won't be able to have the even more important and deeper ones you're going to have to keep having to keep, keep this relationship going. So that's something you really need to ask yourself about what you're dealing with or what you're creating and who you're creating it with. Are they the right person for you? So first you look at yourself. Is it hard for me to be vulnerable, to be open, to be emotionally intimate? Then you got to look at your partner. How do they make me feel when I'm expressing myself, when I'm sharing feelings, when I am opening up to them? And interestingly, these things can interact because if you are someone who was raised in a family where you learn to put your feelings away, you might also choose someone who makes you feel that way too. So it really could be both. It doesn't mean it has to be one of these things. It could be all of the above. And the third one is more of an interaction, the one between you and someone else. So sometimes people are just not a good match for each other. And so it's the relationship between these two people that can be more the issue that gets in the way of having the conversations. Maybe you are so different from this person that the way you guys see things is just so different that it's hard to uh, come to the same page to see eye to eye. And so it becomes difficult to have those important conversations. So sometimes if we're with the wrong person, having the important conversations, having the uncomfortable conversation can become even more difficult and can be a bigger issue. So we want to look at those three different factors to try to understand why is it so hard to have these conversations in this relationship? Is it me, my partner, or the relationship between us? And again, it could be um, and all of the above or one of them more than the others. And so we have to look at those things. But what those conversations look like, coming back to them, is if we have those conversations, we have to be ready to be vulnerable. We have to be ready to show parts of ourselves that we maybe don't like, which is tough because we, we like to feel good about ourselves all the time. We like to um, show those good sides only. But really, when we want to get close to someone, it's about showing those not so good sides. And if you think of anyone you feel very close to, you'll realize that there's someone that you and probably they both of you have shown not just the happy-go-lucky, everything-is-okay side. You've maybe cried in front of each other. You've talked about something that hurt you or bothered you, or you've talked about an insecurity or something. That's what creates closeness and emotional intimacy. The more we open up, the more we share that vulnerability, the deeper the emotional bond can become. If you keep it surface, if you just talk about the things that are okay, if you just try to be polite to one another, if you just try to show only your good sides, it can't get very deep. It's only when we start to unravel or take away the layers of ourselves that we can connect at a deeper level. We can have an emotional intimacy that is truer and more deep, but it's only with that risk of being vulnerable that we can have that. And so even as I'm talking about it now, it might sound very romanticized to talk about these conversations in that way. And in a way it is because these conversations won't always feel good. You'll talk about feelings that you don't like. Your partner might respond in a way that you don't like. There might be some anger, sadness, other feelings that don't feel so good. And so we have to be willing to tolerate these things as well. So I don't want people to think that although I'm saying uh, these conversations are hard, really they're just always so lovely and beautiful. They can be tough. They can get messy. They can feel um, uncomfortable or almost they always will feel uncomfortable. What is very important is that we always maintain respect for each other, even in the worst fight, even in um, the deepest discussion, 
that level of respect should always be there. We can't ever make our partner feel bad for being who they are. We might make them feel bad in the moment that's going to happen, but we never want to shame them or judge them for who they are and make them feel like they're a bad person at the core. We can say we don't like something about what they did or even something about them and the ways they're being, but we never want to make them feel bad for who they are. That's not going to work, and that's going to be like a poison in the relationship. The disrespect is always going to harm the relationship like any poison would and we have to be aware of that that if we have that in our relationship it's not going to work and we won't really have these kinds of conversations because we won't feel good about them anyway so it doesn't really go very far but these conversations will be messy be ready that when you're having them you might not feel good during you might not even feel good right after it might take some time but that you know that the important part is being open and hopefully you have a partner that does make you feel good about having those conversations too, because if you don't have that, you won't be able to continue them. But what you want is to have some types of conversations that involve sometimes everything not being okay. And that means we have to take a step into that. It doesn't mean you can have them all the time. If you're about to go to sleep and you're very tired, maybe you don't want to have that conversation at that time. Or maybe if you don't have a lot of time, you're about to go to work, it might not be the right timing. But we have to make the time for these conversations. Like anything valuable, um, if we don't make time for it, it usually goes away, unfortunately. Going back to those analogies of exercise, for example, if you don't make time to exercise, you won't find the time for it. And so these conversations, we have to be proactive about them. I so often see couples or just individuals who want to have a conversation or know they need to have a conversation, but they keep putting it off. And we can always make the excuse of time. Oh, I didn't have time to have that conversation, or I didn't have time to bring this up, or it wasn't the right moment. But we have to keep in mind that an uncomfortable conversation is always going to feel uncomfortable. It never feels like the best time. And the joke I sometimes use is what people will experience is they say, you know, I was upset, so I told my husband and he said oh i was having such a good day and now you ruined it and then on the other side if they're having a bad day they say oh you already knew i was having such a bad day and now you made it even worse but the truth is there's never going to be a great feeling about starting one of these conversations and we have to accept that that going into it it's going to be a little bit tough but because we think it's worth it we're going to have that conversation so like many things that lead to growth in the moment it's going to feel uncomfortable or not very good but we see the value in it and so I hope people will see the value in having uncomfortable conversations with their partners to have those deep and sometimes messy conversations with each other where we open up and share things because the only way we can keep a relationship alive and we can actually create even first a deep connection with one another. So to me, it's impossible to have a close relationship without deep and uncomfortable conversations. There's no way to really feel true love unless we're willing to expose more of ourselves to one another. And that means taking some risks, but hopefully our partner will respond to those risks in a way that makes us feel even better in long term and even more connected to them. And that's usually what people experience. If we open up to someone and they respect what we share and they respond with love and appreciation and affection, we'll feel much closer to them uh, than we did before. And even though we might think we're sharing something ugly about ourselves or something not good about ourselves, when we see someone love even those parts of us or love us with all of those parts, that's when we truly feel loved by them. And that's when that connection is there. But if we haven't shown those sides to someone, even if they tell us they love us, even if they show it to us, we don't really feel loved because we might wonder, well, if I show them this or if they knew I was this kind of person or I had this quality, would they still love me? 
or the only reason they love me is because they haven't seen those sides yet. But that genuine love is when we show all the sides of ourselves and feel loved and accepted. That's what we're trying to create. And that's what we should want to create with whoever we are with. All right, going to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. So in the previous segment, I was talking about having those uncomfortable conversations and how necessary they are in order to have a good and healthy relationship and how to me, it's like uh, going in for a teeth cleaning or anything else you do to maintain something that if we don't do these things, we don't talk about what's going on in the relationship, what we're feeling, uh, that the debris or the bacteria or the plaque or whatever the analogy might be starts to build up and it takes away from the health of the relationship, the strength of the relationship and the connection that is there. So we need to have those types of conversations. But I recognize that some people might wonder, why do we even want to have an emotionally intimate relationship? And to be honest, I think many people don't want one or they're not looking for one. They just want to have someone. I just want to have someone to spend time with, to be with. We support one another. We connect with one another. Maybe even we start a family together, but they don't really see the value in having such a close relationship. And I can understand that. Of course, it's something you, you have to want and no one can tell you to want something. But I do want to talk about why I think we maybe should want it. I don't want to say should as in we must, but that it can be something amazing to experience and we should want to have that experience um, and i think if we recognize how beautiful it is we would want that but like many meaningful things that i talked about in the past in order to have in order to have this beautiful thing it does take work we don't just get it um, on accident or we don't just get it without trying it does take some effort and so when i look at emotional intimacy in a relationship there's two different analogies that come to my mind or many but one is climbing a mountain and another is going deep in the ocean the deep in the ocean one works because there's something about depth that we talk about in a relationship that the um the, the more connected you are the deeper the relationship feels and so that one feels nice but the other uh, side of it the mountain so going higher part to me also makes sense because when we look at a relationship um it does involve doing hard work just like it involves to get higher in the mountain and also, the higher you go on a mountain, the risk is more. So I understand that sometimes people <clears throat> have a fear of intimacy. I can hear my voice wheezing. So people have a fear of intimacy that keeps them from wanting to be close with someone. And to me, fear of intimacy, we sometimes use it as this phrase that, oh, he has a fear of intimacy, she has a fear of intimacy. But I think that it's actually something that we all have. And like many things, it's about the degree. Because intimacy is all at once very exciting and beautiful and great, but also scary at the same time. It's like two sides of the same coin. On one side is this incredible, beautiful, wonderful feeling and experience. On the other side, it's the risk and the scary part about getting hurt. And so we have to accept intimacy as having both of these things. And really what we're choosing to do when we create a relationship, there always is risk involved, 
is that we're seeing the risk. We have to understand the risk, but say, I'm going to go forward anyway, just like is the case with anything. You want to start a business. You look at what can go wrong. You know, you might lose money, but you think it's worth the risk anyway. And so here in a relationship in a very uh, a larger way, we recognize that we can get hurt, but that even though we can get hurt, um, we want to take that risk because the experience is worth it for us because what we can reach might be worth it for us. Because it makes sense to me that intimacy is this very scary thing. And some people think, why risk getting hurt? I hear that all the time. Why would I want to fall in love? Why would I want to get really close to someone when I can get hurt? Um, and that is a scary feeling very scary. It's just like people even might think that when it comes to having kids, I want to have kids, but just the thought that something can happen to them uh, feels unbearable. And so it doesn't feel worth that risk or I'm afraid of that risk. And that one I can get too, at least feeling that way, because to me, that is the worst thing that can happen to someone, or maybe the, one of the worst, maybe someone can think of something worse, but to lose a child to me just sounds incredibly painful. And so someone could think because of how painful that is, I don't want to expose myself to that risk, to that possibility. It's just too much to handle. And so I don't want to allow that risk to even happen. And I can get that. Although I think if you talk to anyone who becomes a parent, they don't feel that way. They'll, they understand the risk. They know, of course, they can't even imagine something happening to their child, losing their child, but they'll tell you that it's well worth it because the experience of having them is so wonderful and so amazing that they will take that risk on in order to get to have that experience. And so love and emotional intimacy can feel that same way, that it's scary, it involves risk, but hopefully we'll recognize the value in it that we will be willing to risk. We will be willing to put our heart on the line, so to speak, because we think that it's worth it, that this is something I want, and so I'm willing to do that. So we all have at some level a fear of intimacy, but if we've experienced relational traumas in our lives, we're more likely to feel that way. If you have bad relationships from your childhood, whether it's abuse, um, emotionally abusive, emotionally painful relationships, if you lost a parent, let's say through death or through divorce, that can also affect how you feel about things. If you've experienced different types of traumas in this way, that can affect how um, painful the pain will feel to you and also how likely you think it is. Because unfortunately what can happen is if you've had your trust betrayed or if you never had a strong feeling of trust, it can be hard for you to trust in the future. It can make you feel that, how can I trust other people? And so very often people will feel like if my mom or dad who was supposed to protect me, I mean, they were my mom, they were my dad, my parent, if they hurt me, how can I ever trust or believe that a stranger won't hurt me? How can I ever have that faith in people and have that trust in someone else, in someone who starts off as a stranger? And so unfortunately for many people, that trust is not there because in order to create an emotionally intimate relationship to love, to really love, we have to be willing to risk. And to them, the risk assessment comes as, you know what, this is more than likely going to go bad. More than likely I will get hurt, so I'm not going to risk. And that's unfortunate. Now, we can try to work on that pain from the past and recognize that just because our parents hurt us, um, it was probably from their weakness as individuals, not that every human being will treat us that way, but we can unfortunately make that conclusion that all people will be untrustworthy, that we can't trust anyone. 
but hopefully we will be willing to take that risk. And this reminds me of a quote I've seen on love that says that falling in love with someone is giving them the power to hurt you, but trusting that they won't. And really that is the case because when you love someone, when you are connected to them, there is a possibility that they can hurt you. There is, or you're opening up, the power is there for them to hurt you through infidelity in an extreme form, but also in lesser forms. Or if you lose them by connecting to someone, um, if you lose them, it's painful, right? If you love someone and they die, you're going to be very sad. If you never loved them to begin with or knew them, there won't be that pain. But again, this is where we have to look at how we want to live our lives. Um, if you want to never get hurt by anyone, if you never want to have to deal with heartache or deal with any type of pain in this way, you can just stay in a room and not even communicate with anyone and you can be sure that no one will ever hurt you. You'll never get hurt in love if you never love anyone or let yourself be exposed. But you also won't experience anything meaningful or wonderful either. And this is the crazy, beautiful, exciting pro process of life or how life is that we have to look at that we always are living in this way. Everything we do, if we're not willing to risk something, we won't be able to get any type of reward. When you create a friendship even, friends can hurt you and that can be painful. But if you're not willing to let yourself get close to friends, you never get to experience that feeling of closeness, of support, of friendship, love that can be very meaningful and valuable in life and similarly with love. And if we look at what makes us happy, and I don't mean happy just in the feeling of pleasure or joy, but when you look at long-term research, looking at what makes people happier in their lives and feel better about their lives, we see that relationships are definitely the most important factor. How close people feel to others. What is the quality of their relationships? Definitely quality, not quantity. So if you have 100 friends, but you're not close to any of them, that actually is not going to be worth very much. It's about how close you actually feel. And there actually is a movement towards more superficial friendships in general that is being um, facilitated by things like social media. So people have lots of friends or they think they're connecting with lots of people, but it's not really in a deep way or in a meaningful way where they can actually get to know each other on a deeper level. It's just some communication, which can be good, but it's not going to replace the need we have for deeper quality relationships. Sometimes they ask people to assess this. If you got stranded on the road, how many people could you call for help? And for a lot of people, the answer is zero. They don't know who they would call if they were stuck somewhere, if they really needed someone. But if you also ask them in a different way how many friends they have, they'll probably tell you they have tons of friends. But really, there isn't that actual depth of connection, of feeling like they have someone who will support them, who will take care of them if need be. So when we recognize that the most important thing in our lives or the thing that will make us happy long term is going to be relationships, then we have to accept that risk that if I want to be a, a happy, content, fulfilled human being, I'm going to have to have relationships. Of course, I also want them, but it's going to be necessary in order to be happy. And because of that, I have to be willing to take those risks. I have to be willing to put myself out there. And of course, this doesn't mean we just buy, blindly trust everyone and don't think that anyone 
can hurt us, we can kind of look at this as a spectrum. On one end, it's being paranoid and suspicious of everyone and thinking everyone is bad and has bad intention and is going to hurt us. But on the other end and the other extreme is being completely naive and thinking that no one can ever hurt us, that everyone deserves 100% of our trust from day one. And that's not healthy either. But we do have to have some basic level of trust for others. In a way, it's like you're investing in them and giving them some trust. And then how they return that investment allows that trust to either grow or go away. But first you give them $5. And if they show you, they give you that $5 back, then you can give 10 and then you can keep giving and giving them more of your trust and trusting that they will not hurt you. But even still, there's no guarantees. And we have to accept that part as well. The risk never goes to zero, but we can come to learn of someone and see that we feel that they're worthy of more and more trust. So we recognize that love is necessary to be happy. Relationships are necessary to be happy. We take those risks. And then we're also aware of how the person shows us how trustworthy they are. Are they showing me that I can be safe with them, that I can rely on them, I can trust them. And that can make us feel more comfortable in trusting them more and eventually getting to the place where we feel like we have that complete trust. And by complete trust doesn't mean we don't think it's possible for us to hurt them, us, but that we think that they won't. And we really believe in them and can give us all of our heart. And as I was saying before, when we look at a relationship, when you're climbing that mountain together, you can choose to not go very far up. And the risk is very low. Because if you're low on the mountain, even if you fall, you don't fall very hard. And many people choose this route. They, even in their marriages, don't get very close to their partner. And so even if the marriage falls apart, if they get divorced, if there's infidelity, they might feel hurt, but it won't hurt too bad. And they might feel better this way, that they never have to worry about getting hurt so bad. But if we're willing to take that risk and together with our partner climb higher on that mountain, yes, every step up, there's further for you to fall. If you get hurt by your partner or something happens in the relationship, it will hurt more. But each step you go higher, the view you get to enjoy together becomes that much more beautiful. The higher you go, and if you go all the way to the top of the mountain, what you will see together and what you will share together will be far more beautiful than what you could have experienced if you played it safe and if you didn't allow yourself to trust your partner to say that maybe I can allow them to have my heart, to take care of my heart, to be there and trust that they won't hurt me. It's only possible if we take that risk of getting deeper in our connection together and trusting each other more and loving each other more. And then you get to experience something that is far better than what you could experience without that risk. And like most things that are an experience, we can talk about them, we can describe them. And that's why people do so much uh, in songs and movies and poems and all these types of things. We talk about love knowing that we can never fully describe it with words. No one could really know what it feels like to be in love or feel like what it is to be a parent. When you talk to parents, they say it's an experience like you can't describe. They'll try to tell you about it, but they say until you feel it, you won't know what it's like. And so true love is the same way. You won't know it until you feel it. And we've maybe felt glimpses of it that might give us that feeling that, you know what, I think this is worth it. And I hope people will feel that it's worth it to take those risks with the right person in the right relationship, creating that together, where it's worth that risk and hopefully enjoy that beautiful view together once you climb that mountain and recognize that, yes, now that we're up here, there is a far way to fall. It is possible that we can get hurt. We might hurt one another, but we trust that we won't. And we also realize that this view was worth that challenge and worth that risk. 
All right, going into another commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Okay. Hi. Hi. Uh, so I'm calling you uh, regarding uh, some issues I'm having with um, motiv- motivation and willingness to study for my MCAT, which is uh, coming up on September 6th, so okay. in about four weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I signed up for a uh, class for it, uh, which has been going on for about four weeks now. So, And in about four weeks, I'm going to be taking the exam. And I'm almost there, um, and I've been essentially like preparing for this exam for the last two to three years of my college career, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, and I think that reason might have to do with, like, some uh, external factors that are distracting me, um, I'm having trouble finding that last bit of motivation to okay. carry through with it and take my exam. Yeah, so we can talk about that. Yeah, for those listening who don't know, the here in America, the MCAT is the preparatory test to go to medical school or the test you need and your score can be very important in impacting what med schools or if you get into med school. So you're getting ready for that. And when we're studying or doing anything, sometimes we think about motivation or willpower as this constant thing that either we have it or we don't, or we should always have it at the same level. But like a lot of things in our lives, it fluctuates. And um, we have to be aware of that, that we're never going to have perfect motivation and willpower is not this thing we either have or we don't have. But it also seems like you're saying you think there might be some external things going on. So before I get more into that, tell me about what you think might be affecting uh, your motivation at this time. Sure. Uh, I think, uh, so let me just give you a quick background sure. of myself. Um, so I'm going into my third year of uh, university this year, mm-hmm. and typically, uh, like most students who want to take like the MCAT, they either take it uh, the summer in between their third and fo- fourth year, mm-hmm. or maybe even after college. But I'm taking it a lot earlier, so because of that, um, like in my friend group, I'm the only one who's t- like taking this exam during this uh, during this time, and like I don't know, I. <laughs> In many ways, I think one factor that might be, like, in my head is I just see all of my friends and family, like, they're having fun while I'm, I'm, like, out here trying to study for, like, four to six hours a day. And, like, at at some point, that just, like, it becomes, like, too repetitive and tiresome. Mm -hmm. Um Additionally, like, well, let me stop I you there I, for let me stop you there for a second. So, yeah, that um, when you said that, I, I I usually know people taking it later than when you're taking it. You said between your second and third year, uh, mm-hmm. and so and and seeing other people and they're not doing the same thing you're doing, and then seeing them having fun, enjoying themselves, and then you have to go study, which can be boring and stressful, can be tough. And so, what can be important is to come back and recognize how you feel about the decision of taking the test now. Because if you're deciding to take it now, um, you have to own that decision as your thing. So other people might not do it, but you think it's the right thing to do for you for some reason, whatever those reasons might be. And because of that, you have to take that on as this is my choice. Just like 
um, you know, you might have a test in a class and you're about to study and people are like, oh, we're going to go party and go have a good time. And you might think, you know what, that does look like fun. But to me, I'm choosing to study because I want to do well on this. It's about me and just me alone, not about other people. Uh, but maybe you're not so sure about the decision you're making of taking it now and taking it early. And so that could be affecting how you feel of really committing to it and making it work. Right. The, uh, the main reason, like, I've decided to take it now is because, uh, I, like, compared to my fellow, like, classmates and stuff, mm -hmm. um, I, I have taken all the required courses, so okay. this is essentially the best time for me to take the MCAT because most of my classmates haven't taken all of the like necessary courses for this exam. Mm -hmm. But for some, I don't know why, but for some reason, at the same time, uh, like my my mind like wanders when I'm studying for this exam, especially like now, like rather than being focused on the goal at hand, like. I don't know, like, I, I go into, like, a daydream about, like, oh, what I could be doing right now, and then that, like, ultimately makes me feel even less motivated. Mm -hmm. So I, I was just, like, I mainly called to see if you have any tips on what I could do to uh, remove these distractions. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting to say distractions are coming from within yourself, so that can be an interesting one. Now, there are things like meditation which can be helpful for distraction and for concentration if that's the issue i do want to take a step back though um and when it comes to things like this we have to evaluate the bigger goal as well so when it even comes to becoming a doctor going to med school how do you feel about that what do you think about that right now how excited motivated do you feel about being a doctor how much does it feel like something you want to do yourself and it's not from outside pressure because that can affect how strongly we feel in our motivation when the going gets tough, when the work gets hard. So how would you respond to that when it comes to your own desire of being a doctor or when you think about that? What do you feel right, right now? So um, pretty. So right now I'm uh, almost 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And ever since I was 16, so in high school, I've actively like tried to put myself in the like medical slash scientific community shadowing doctors, volunteering for clinics, uh, working in labs. And each of these experiences has further, like, assured me that this is something that I, like, want to do and could see myself uh, doing. And however, despite that, I think one thing that I didn't do properly is I never considered how difficult this journey was going to be. Like, mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed, like, I, uh, everything that I did from, like, doing, like, scientific experiments in a lab or um, interacting with patients, interacting with doctors, all of that I really enjoyed, but I think I underestimated the difficulty of the journey to get there, to get mm -hmm. to that point where I could be doing all those things, and, um, but, like, it's, it's essentially my dream, and I... And I know I'm capable of it. I just need to, like, I don't know, put all my energy into it and be willing to sacrifice uh, everything around me. And 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's t- have, I'm having difficulty. Yeah, well, I can feel that in how you're t- and even how you talk about it. It doesn't mean you have to sacrifice everything, but you will have to make sacrifices, and they'll have to feel like they're sacrifices you want to make, like it's worth it. So that when we talk about a sacrifice, we mean we're giving up something that to us is lesser for something that's more important, or something that feels good in the moment for something that we feel like is more meaningful to us in the long term. Um, but it's good that you have that. It feels very aligned with who you are and who you want to be and you want to do that. But definitely, maybe you did underestimate how difficult it will be. And of course, we know that the medical field is one of the hardest uh, educational paths that we have. So it's going to be very challenging. And so you have to accept that this is part of the process. Uh, And what what can be good is when we face the hard work and it starts to get overwhelming or gets us down a little bit, it can be good to think back to why we're doing all this to begin with. Because for a lot of people, they're just going in this path. So they're thinking, okay, I have to take this next class and this and this and this is part of just this journey. And we forget about what that destination is. Not that it really will be a complete finish line, but why are you working so hard? Um, so you can do you can do that even on a daily basis even if it's not a meditation, like you just sit and do nothing, but a kind of almost guided medication, meditation or imagery where you start thinking about why it is you want to be a doctor or what it's going to feel like when you're a doctor. Why does it mean so much to you? Or you can even imagine either getting the acceptance letter to med school or going to med school or the graduation from med school, but think of these different things that might drive you and then also what it'll feel like when you are a doctor because you're going to have to keep that motivation alive. Now, sometimes when we lose motivation, we want to, as I was asking you, evaluate things and make sure what we're doing is really what we want because that can affect our motivation. But even when it is something we want, we know that we hit walls. We sometimes think about people and we hear about someone who accomplished something, we think they were just perfectly motivated, never doubted themselves, never uh, had any setbacks, and they always were so clear and confident in what was happening. But really, that's not the reality of what most people experience. So if you talk to other people that uh, became doctors, I'm sure you'll find that they at times felt like maybe this is too much. Maybe I should just give up. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Do I really want this? Would I rather just go into another career? And so those things do come up for people, even when still going into their career is the right thing for them. But we want to make sure that's what's going on. So I would talk to other people who are going through it. I would think to yourself about why this is so important for you to try to reignite that fire within you. You might be also feeling burnt out. It's only a few weeks away. Um, and so there could be some of those things going on as well. So I know you're asking me for techniques, which I think can be helpful, but it's also good to look at the bigger picture too, to make sure where you're at is where you want to be and where you're going is where you want to be. And if that's the case, try to get yourself excited again about that, remembering why you're doing all this in the first place. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm going to try to, uh, do that. Uh, as soon as possible. Thank yeah. you so much. You're very welcome. Then, yeah, go ahead. And then uh, I just had a quick question. Um, uh, is there, uh, because we, uh, I live in Northern California, uh-huh. and uh, uh, I have been, like, just in general looking for, um, uh, like, a, uh, a psychologist or, like, uh, a therapist, something like that to yeah. consult with. Uh, talk about some other issues like privately uh would you um are you able to like talk on the phone privately or 
Skype or something yeah. like that. So because well, I mean, I'll just cut ahead. you off there because I, you know, unfortunately, the short answer is no. Um, I mean, of course, I do the phone calls here on the show, but it's a different process than therapy, which is more in depth and has a different. Uh, process to it. So I don't do phone therapy in my practice just to give you that short of it, but I'm sure there are plenty of very good counselors, therapists, psychologists in uh, Northern California that you definitely could benefit from working with if there are things you want to get into. I, I'm always in favor of people going into therapy. You know, someone, I mentioned this on the show is that I go to my own therapy and I say that so people recognize it's not something we should be ashamed of or shouldn't talk about and that I think it's actually a very good thing. So I would hope you go into that and think about that because, you know, you're preparing yourself in so many ways academically, but sometimes we can forget that psychologically and mentally we need to do that preparation and make sure we're taking care of ourselves as well. So I think it'd be great for you to consider going in and I'm glad you called me and we got to talk, but the experience of being with someone in an office and really having that one-on-one connection is something that really can be even more valuable. So I hope you will look into that. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Best of luck to you. Good luck. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And, you know, so I'm, I'm glad he called in and asked those questions and he did ask for those techniques. Hopefully I gave him a few, but the focus was more on what he um, is feeling about what he's going through. And so we have to look at our goals always and reevaluate what we're doing. Is it really what we want? But then as I talked about with him, even in something we really want to do, we're going to at times have issues related to motivation, issues related to willpower. It's not just this black and white thing where we should think, well, if I lost my motivation, that means I don't want to do this anymore. Even in something we really want to do, we can sometimes have a feeling of giving up or at least our motivation might waver and doesn't necessarily mean we're doing the wrong thing or we need to completely change our course. It could just mean that we're facing a challenge. And then also be ready that whatever we want to do, um, I was talking about this in the realm of relationships, but anything you want to do as far as career or education, it's going to be tough. And so there will be setbacks. You won't like all of it. Um, You know, there's that cliche of if you find a career you like, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And I believe that that's true. And I feel that even in what I get to do. But when we say that, it's not in this extreme way that every moment of every day of what you do is going to feel good and pleasant. Almost anyone who has a job um, has some aspects of it they don't like. like. They enjoy some performance part of what they do, but then they don't like meetings they have to have once a week. But they accept that's part of doing what they love to do the rest of the time. So we have to accept that too, that of course, in the journey of getting there, there's a lot of parts we might not like. In the case of that young gentleman dealing with the tests and then uh, the MCAT and then soon even things like applications and then the, the hard work will also continue as he goes um, into med school. But also realizing that whatever we're doing, there's going to be hard steps along the way. And even when we get there, there's parts of our job we don't like. And so I say that because I know a lot of people think that if I'm finding the right career, I should like every aspect of what I'm doing. But really, that's not the case. Usually, we, f- we want to find work that we find meaningful, that we're passionate about, that we really feel good about, that makes us feel alive and feel like we're doing what we're meant to be doing. But we shouldn't expect something unrealistic, that every moment is going to be good. And making that connection to the romantic relationships, you might really love someone and be in a very good relationship, but it doesn't mean you're going to feel good all the time 
every moment. There's going to be tough times, hard times. You might feel less connected or might feel sad about something in the relationship, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong relationship. Even in something good, it's not going to be purely good. There's also going to be some tough things as well. So thanks to that caller. Best of luck to him next month when he takes the MCAT. Uh, let's go into our last commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Lakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thank you. I have a question um, about my relationship. Okay, go ahead. I, yeah, I had a boyfriend, uh, American boyfriend. I was with four years with him. And after four years, I wanted you know, to be what we are. I want to be serious. And that time, he, he doesn't ready for that, and I broke up with him. Okay. But you and after went, you said after four years you wanted to be serious. Yes. How old are you? How yes. old are you? I'm fifty. Five zero. Yes. Okay. And so you wanted to have a more serious relationship, but he did not want it to be more. By that, you mean you wanted to get married? Yes. Okay. I want to be. You know, I after four years, I think you know we know each other and uh, have to be you know do other stuff. I want to you know be married. I want to be you know. Safe in relationship. Sure, but you know, and, you know, let me just stop you there. Even to me, four years ago is a, way before that. You should know how well you know each other and what you want. And I don't know if you didn't bring those conversations up with him, um, but it relates to what I was talking about earlier in the show. But often we avoid having these conversations about what's going on and what we want. And not that it was a waste of time for you to stay with someone, but maybe you wanted to make those steps even earlier in the relationship and may, he didn't ever want those things and that's why i think it's so yes, important I for did. okay i did i felt that you know when one will be when he was one year i'm talking to him he said he needed more time and no at least no two years and two years go three years and in the four years i said okay no i'm enough it's enough is enough i'm I leave them. Okay, I'm glad you. I'm glad you California. listened. Yeah, I'm glad you did that eventually. But again, I'm just saying, you know, and someone we have to look at these conversations, and sometimes people say they need time. We can give them a little bit of time, but this is not one or two years. Time is not what we're talking about. But nonetheless, I'm glad eventually you made that choice. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is not about just you and what you did, but so many people find themselves in this situation where they're with someone who is not giving them what they want, and people will always have. Reasons like I need more time or maybe not yet or give yeah. me a month. And they just put up, but it really it's more about they don't want what the other person wants, but they also don't want the relationship to end. And so they keep yeah. them in the relationship. So it just many people will find themselves probably where you found yourself. But nonetheless, so you ended that relationship and you said you moved um, to another state. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I went to California to meet my friend and have a no be with her. Maybe I moved to California, and that time I meet the guy there, okay. in, you know, in a restaurant. And really, you know, I'm not looking for everybody. What I find him, he's a Iranian man, he's a very successful man, and we talking to each other. And so, okay, we let's go to date, and we dating, and I moved there. I lived with him for one year, uh, and for one year, I said, okay, we have to decide what we want. If you want to you know to be serious commencement with me, one year we together, and I think uh, for my age, right now I'm 50 and you're 60, we're not young, we have to make a you know, plan for go, you know, be serious. And he said, no, I'm not ready for two years. 
at least two years. I said, no, sorry, I can't have that. And I moved. Okay. I, I said, okay, I'm not going to stay with you. I broke up with him, and I back to my estate. I was, because my kid was here. And my old boyfriend, he's American, he come back, and he want to be relationship with me. Mm-hmm. And I told him, okay, if you want a relationship with me, I'm okay, but I don't want to be same as before. I'm not coming to your house. I'm not still with you. I'm not do everything with you because we had before. And now this is time for you, you know, situation. You have to choose. If you want to be serious to marriage, okay, uh, show me and we can handle, we can do, we can go and you know, continue. If not, sorry, I don't want to be same as before. And now he's, he said, okay, and he didn't for me ring. He's at what, sorry? He gets me ring, as you know. Engagement ring? Fiance. Okay. Yes, engagement ring. Okay. And the, the other guy from California called me, and he wanted to continue with him. And I said, sorry, I, you know, had to meet my ex, okay. and we have enough plan to be with together. And he said, don't do it, because I very love you. Come with me. Uh, I don't know what should I do. I go, can I go in you know, with him? Because he's Iranian, I can more understand him, more you know, can you know share everything easier than you know American guys. But American guy one year younger than me, but Iranian guys is ten years older than me. Okay, I mean, you're, I know you're sharing all the numbers, um, and like, and those things do matter. But I don't know how you're feeling with these people. The way you're talking about the relationships is very superficial like it's just pick someone to be with someone to have someone but not really love someone so i, I don't know what you're feeling for this i love people. both of them both of them because something you know very love about the american iranian not have something iranian has i n- not have. i know but you're you're talking about them again in this very like you're not dating the country of america or the country of iran you're dating one person but you're talking about yeah, it like I'm true. dating America, like I love him. I want to date, marry him because of Fourth of July or something. You know what I mean? That that doesn't make sense to me. It's like I like him because but of American these reasons. American guys, it's literally no. But I don't want to hear. I, I, I know, but you keep saying American guys. This is one person. So I'm just feeling yeah, the way true, you're talking true. about them is not as much about them. It's like this very superficial thing, and and so I don't know what you're feeling for either of them or what's happening in these relationships that you want, or even that you're engaged to this guy, but you're thinking maybe you should go back with that guy, doesn't make me feel like you're very into this relationship. Like you're just wanting to be with someone to be with someone. You said we're not young anymore or we're not young. And yeah. Okay, but, but that doesn't mean we just have to have someone with anyone just to have something. But the way you're talking about relationships sounds very uh, on the surface, that they're not really that close. Okay. So, I mean, I, it almost seems like you wanted this... American guy to propose just to propose to to get that, but then now you have it. And you're like, oh, I don't even know if I want this, but I'm just a little bit missing, or it feels like something is missing in what you're talking about. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm confused for that too because I think you know he's a little bit stingy. I thought I married if he is still in the same or get bad. And for other part of me, I think, you know, he's a good guy and it should be a stay with him. Uh, that is a confusing for me. I, that yeah. is, you know, a little bit... I, I know, but here's here's what I want you to think about is that when you think about being with anyone, but when you're thinking about the American guy, it shouldn't be because the Persian guy came back into the picture that now you're wondering if he's good enough. 
you should ask yourself, do yeah. I want to be with this person? Do I love this person? Not because I'm thinking of someone else and is there anyone else or if there's no one else, I'll marry him, but because you want to be with him. But I'm not getting that feeling from you and how you're talking about these relationships. It seems much more about convenience and just having someone. And you can choose to be in that kind of relationship, but I'm just letting you know what I'm hearing is it's very much like it's all about the head and not the heart at all. And by that, I mean, of course, we don't want to just think with our heart and emotions, but we don't want to just think about our head. Oh, I think this person, because they have this quality and that, that's a nice life. Let me go be with them. We want to really, if you're marrying someone, you should feel in love with them. But I'm not feeling that at all in how you're talking about these people, especially you're engaged to someone and thinking about someone else because he's less stingy or he's, you know, something, you know, other qualities. It shouldn't be about that. It should be, do I want to be with this person I'm engaged to? Um, but just like I said, the way you're even talking about it makes me concerned of how committed you're going to be to him. You're telling me they don't want to commit to you as far as take it the next step. But I feel like you might want to commit in that you want to put a ring on your finger. But I don't know if you're really committing your heart to them or you're committing yourself to them in a deeper way. Because the, uh, the Iranian man is, uh, he needs, you know, health problem. And I thought, you know, I really feel bad for him. It's so hard, you know, to I tell him, you know, okay, I, I can't be with you. And because I don't want to hurt him. Okay, but you, you, you... I put in my situation yeah. to confuse myself more. Well, we should never be with someone because we feel bad for them. That's not good. That's definitely not the basis for a good relationship is you feel bad for him to be with him. Yeah. So sure. I don't think that makes sense. I don't know if it's because he has more money that makes it more appealing because you said he was very successful mm -hmm. and this American guy is stingy. No, actually, American has more money than him. Okay, but he's stingy or cheap, you said. He's a stingy, yeah. He's very be careful how he stands or that yeah. uh, Iranian guys is uh, maybe no same, maybe have the same variety, but American guys did not have any kids, but the American has a kid and more, you know, problem in his life. Okay. But, I mean, uh, like I said, I know you're saying you're confused, but I think part of what's making you confused is that your feeling for neither of them is very strong. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you love the American guy, like you're in love with him? The person, your your fiance. Yeah. You feel like you're in love yeah. with him. I think. No, I'm not love him, but I like him. Okay, but but to me that's not a good reason to get engaged with someone. Is because you like them. Because I think you know, for our age, it's so hard to get you know love. It's more we need to, you know secure and be you know with some people have it. And take her off no, other you, you need other. that part. I mean, you can, look, you can choose. I, I'm not saying you have to do something, but um, okay. you have to decide, recognize what you're doing. You can yeah, say, you know what? I'm older. I don't really care to fall in love. That, that's that's your choice. Um, but realize that that's not going to be a very stable relationship. Or once you choose someone, you have to choose him 100% and not keep thinking about someone else. So if you're you know, maybe right now you're still engaged, but especially if you get married to him, then you can't think yeah. about, oh, well, there's someone else, I mean, around. To me, that's going to be a very bad way of living your life is that you're always going to be looking because there's always going to be someone around that's, if we compare someone, we can always find someone better, especially in one quality. No one you marry is going to be the best in everything or anything, right? There, there's ever, always going to be people you can look at in a way that are better. But that's why I'm feeling just there's it's, it's a little bit empty how you talk about these guys. And maybe because you don't like them, it's more you just want to have a partner. 
you can choose to do that, but just know that um, you have to know what you're getting yourself into, that you're just choosing to get married to have that. That's up to you. But probably it's not going to feel that strong or that deep, and you have to be ready for that part too. And, and you uh -oh. know, there's no black and white decision that one of them is better than the other. But I think it's because the feeling is not there that it's just it's hard for you to know. Because if you really felt strongly about one of them, it would make it a lot easier. But I don't think you feel that much for either of them. I think I have a more stronger for Iranian guys, but I'm worried to you know go making my time and putting you know my effort, and he's still you know he don't want you know be serious. Well, yeah. And I think you know I'm time for you know be settled down in my life. Okay. Well, then that's something, you know, you have to make the decision that makes sense for what you want. And if that's what you want, it seems like you're already engaged to someone. Again, to me, that itself should concern you that you're engaged to someone, but not feeling so committed to them that you want to think about someone else and, and, and talking yeah, to this other person. That's, that's right. Yeah. I mean, did you tell your fiance that the, the Persian man reached out to you? No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, I mean, but that, that also, again, shows that there isn't such a closeness between you and... Um, this person. So we only have like a minute or two left, but it's just something for you to think about too. Of maybe as much as you want to be with someone, you don't really want to be with someone all the way. And so that's also going to make it hard for you to find someone who wants that too. But if you do find someone who wants to have that kind of relationship, you can go ahead and it seems like maybe that's what the person you're engaged to wants. It could be that the other person just feels like they lost you and wants you back. And, and a lot of times people will do that when they break up. They might not commit yeah. to the person, but they just say, oh, I don't want to lose you. Come back. I'll give you everything you want. But really, it's just the words because they're feeling lonely or alone rather than really they yeah. want to make that change. So uh, I would be aware of that. But I think it's worth for you to look at when it comes to relationships, what's going on for you? Because in just the, the time that we talked, it seems very much like I can get that you're confused because really you don't let yourself feel something for anyone. It's just more about um, a transaction, like a deal, rather than really building a relationship. And so uh -huh. that's just something to, to think about. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, nice. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. We've reached the end of tonight's or today's show. The book of the week for this week, again, is How to Create a Mind, The Secret of Human Thought Revealed by Ray Kurtzwell, How to Create a Mind to the Secret of Human Thought Revealed. Looking forward to sharing that with you on um, Monday's show. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Farhuda here in the studio. It's always a pleasure to uh, get to share some thoughts with you. And today I got to talk a lot about romantic love, um, a topic that people ask about a lot, but also was on my mind. So I wanted to talk about it tonight. All right. Hope you have a great week. I'll be with you Monday night. Take care. Bye-bye.